0: Get started. My name is Patrick Svitek. I'm a reporter of the Texas Tribune. Um, this panel is After Open Carry, uh, Now What? Uh, joining me today, starting on my left, we have uh, C.J. Grisham, the founder of Open Carry Texas. Um, we have uh, Art Acevedo, the chief of the Austin Police Department. Mm-hmm. And then we have Drew Springer, <laughs> Republican state representative uh, from Munster. Carol Alvarado, uh, Democratic state representative uh, from Houston. And then uh, Senator uh, Jose Rodriguez uh, from El Paso. Um, just before we begin here, uh, some housekeeping. This panel is going to last about 60 minutes. We're going to try to allot about 20 minutes uh, for questions. Um, I'm sure we'll have a lot of questions, so please try to keep them concise so we can get to um, as many as possible. Um, if you haven't already, please silence your cell phones. Um, if you do want to tweet, uh, which I highly encourage, um, please use the hashtag, hashtag #ttf. Um, and so I think we're all ready to begin, right? Yep. Great. Well, thank you for all joining me. Um, one of the questions I want to start off with um, is a little contrary to the title of the panel. We're obviously talking about what comes after open carry, but I want to take a moment to reflect on the session that we just had. Obviously, there are a lot of developments uh, related to, to gun rights, uh, e- even broader than open carry, and so I know a lot of you bring very unique perspectives to this discussion. Um, so when you look back on this past session and the conversation about gun rights this past session, uh, based on, on your individual beliefs, your experiences, and, and your line of work, most importantly, what, what mattered the most to you? What do you think was most consequential about what came out of um, the session? We can start with Senator Rodriguez.
1: Well, what mattered to me was clearly fixing the broken <clears throat> school finance system, education, addressing those issues, and, uh, and addressing access to health care issues, rather than spending as much time as we did starting the session and ending the session with the discussions on the Second Amendment and the rights of... Uh, of gun owners, owners. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm not aware other than a very vocal uh, minority and I want to stress this vocal minority insisting that we had to address gun rights during this session. Why do I say that? Because uh, all the polls that I've seen, the Tribune's polls, the uh, UT, polls, other polls indicate that uh, the general public was not interested in uh, open carry or campus carry, but yet because of the vocal minorities that that, uh, prevailed on our leadership, uh, we ended up having this extensive discussion that I feel took time away from the more critical issues of investment in education, healthcare, economic development, job creation,
0: those kinds of
1: issues that, in my view, were much more important.
0: Representative Alvarado, did
2: anything stand out to you? Sure. A couple of things stuck out to me in in this debate. First of all, and I know that our chief is going to talk about this, but the fact that the vast majority of police chiefs, heads of law enforcement agencies throughout the state of Texas, came to testify that they were opposed to this. They talked about the... Um, the concerns that they had for their men and women, law enforcement officers, having to deal with this issue. Mayors across the state said, you're giving us an unfunded mandate, we don't want this. In my city, in Houston, Houston will be the largest municipality in the country with an open carry policy. I think cities should have been able to opt out. The other thing that sticks out, whether it was uh, open carry or campus carry, Officials, representatives from universities also came forth and said we don't want this. When we pass laws, when we're debating laws, we always try to seek the opinions of the people that would be impacted the most. I didn't see anywhere in this debate where law enforcement or city officials or anybody in general came to say we want this. This is so needed in Texas. Our lives will be so much better with open carry. In fact. We heard the opposite. So what sticks out is that we did not hear legitimate, credible testimony of why this issue was so important, why it needed to pass. And that's what sticks out in my mind.
3: Representative Springer, you may have a different take. Yeah, I, I do. And I believe, uh, you know, we do address all those important issues all around the state. And we did have time to talk about gun rights. And... Specifically, we're dealing with the ones that were the 800,000 licensed gun owners in the state of Texas that have proven that they're law-abiding citizens um, and that the other 44 states that have some version of open carry, that Texas should be no different from from those. When it comes to campus carry, I have always stood by and I've talked to and I have uh, several community colleges in my district of 22 counties. You know, mine has always been that I have more concern for that single mother that's going back to night school who has a CHL, who's proven through a background check that she's a responsible gun owner, that she wants to walk to the parking lot from her classroom, that she should be able to protect herself in the dark. Um, There is not law enforcement at every single spot when somebody is walking at some of these facilities. And so uh, I think we did measure this. I think we did hear from uh, the sheriffs and the police chiefs when it came to open carry there was an amendment at the very last uh that didn't go on uh referred to a lot of times as the harold dutton amendment um from that standpoint and it was because of the input from law enforcement that that did not pass on there i took exceptions with that but you know at the end of the day i'm not i mean it's, it's not one of those i didn't come out screaming about the fact that that didn't get on there but um i can see both sides of the debate on that but at the end of the day we did listen to law enforcement on that and uh uh, I think we answered those questions.
0: Chief, what do you think? Obviously, you're not a member of the legislature, um, but you bring the law enforcement perspective. Representative Springer was saying that lawmakers listen to law enforcement. Do you feel that way, and what was your kind of broader view on the session?
4: Well, uh, well first of all, let me just say that, uh, for the record, I am not a against the Second Amendment. Secondly, I was born in Cuba, so when you call me a communist, them are fighting words, so stop calling me a communist. Uh, thirdly, thirdly uh, here's, the, here's the challenge. What people understand is that there will come a point, because uh, the senator's correct, the American people, the vast majority, don't see this as a pressing issue there will come a point where the biggest fears of the open carry movement and the Second Amendment folks will come to fruition if we don't start using common sense and good judgment to the way that we pursue these laws. With rights come responsibilities, and I think that we in government, we in society, have a responsibility to each other to ensure that we protect the Second Amendment by taking pragmatic steps to keep firearms in the hands of law-abiding Americans. And, you know, the representative talked about uh, 800,000 CHL holders, yet all of a sudden, that wasn't enough for open carry. Now they wanted to put language in there, I call it the Huffines Amendment, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm not that hmm. familiar with the process, yeah. Is that well, the Huffines Amendment, either. where... By the way, had they not said anything, we wouldn't have, uh, because I saw a tweet from one of your buddies that, uh, on a Tuesday night, that said, oh, hey, avocado, or something like that, is what you like to call me.
2: <laughs> Constitutional carry. <Hey>, that's ca- <laughs> what I get
4: called, avocado, avocado. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, Constitutional Colorado. carry is a done deal. And I didn't even know that there was a Huffine's amendment, and yeah. we were able to organize, in less than 24 hours, we were able to weigh in. We suggested, because I think, again, common sense is a good judgment. It's your right, fine, at CHL. Telling the good guys from the bad guys in a, in a situation is important. Why don't we? He's wearing a uniform. If I, I make my cops carry badges when they're, off, when they're in plain clothes. We, you know, why don't we create a, a, the, the permit, if it's truly CHL, right, in license, like, license, where it's readily identified and people can say, hey, okay, that person has been through a background check. They aren't, you know. So I think that if we start using common sense and good judgment, that's how we protect the Second Amendment and each other.
0: CJ. Well, what what was your takeaway from the session? Thank well,
5: uh, I you know, I agree with the with the senator. We did spend entirely too much time on this issue. It should have been done day 1 and then move on to other things. Get us open carry and move on. Um you know, I think... I
2: don't think that's what
5: he meant, though. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, and, and I understand the I understand the criticisms or the concerns, anyway, of, of law enforcement. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm a little offended by the fact that uh, there's this discussion, even, that uh, gun owners should be treated like the Jews in Nazi Germany and have stars stuck on their... Uh, yeah, it's the exact same thing. Okay. It, you know, all it is is an identifier. Why, why are we going to identify a segment of law-abiding citizens with some sort of outward identification? Uh, you know, let's make felons wear those identifications then. Let's make child molesters wear those kinds of identifications. I mean, that's, that's really what we're talking about here. And when we, when we talk about putting these patches or these badges or whatever it is onto law-abiding citizens, I, I just want to go about my business. I don't want to draw attention to me. Sure, I want to move wait,
0: on to the next topic, but I'll. I'll wait wait I'll, I'll a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You don't want to want draw attention, but when
4: you're walking up and down the state <laughs> yeah. with AR-15s, that, that's a little bit uh, an oxymoron. There, you do draw attention. Well,
5: and that was that was to to make a point okay. that I can carry a rifle, but I can't carry the smallest handgun. That 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 point's been made. That's something that, at least as an organization, but we're but moving away from. Why do you feel from.
2: it has to be exposed? I mean, I I'm I'm like the chief. I support the Second Amendment. I have a CHL. I I have. A piece. I mean, I'm not carrying it now, obviously, no, but but I don't feel. <laughs> but but I don't feel that I have to expose it. That I have to wear it on the outside. I mean, what's wrong with what we have now?
5: What's wrong with what we have now is if uh, if I right now I've got a tucked-in T-shirt and if I had my gun in my holster outside of this building, I'd be a criminal. the The point is, is it's a comfort issue. It's, it's a logistics issue. If I take off my jacket while I'm in a restaurant, I shouldn't be a criminal because my gun is suddenly exposed. It has nothing to do with going around and saying, hey, look at me, look at this sweet piece of machinery I have on my side. It's, it's about pragmatic and, and, and comfort-type issues. I, I won't even well, why open not, carry why most not of Why not use
2: that logic when we're listening to law enforcement about being pragmatic and, and, um, and being... Because
5: law enforcement's job is to enforce the Constitution and the law. So, uh, you know, yes, we need to listen to them, but they also need to listen to the Constitution and the laws that are in place.
2: I'm sorry, I don't think law yeah. enforcement's doing anything that, um, that doesn't support the Constitution. Right. I don't well, know. well
5: they, they, right. they fought against an amendment that would have protected the Fourth Amendment rights of gun owners.
2: I, and, let, and as somebody, that, as that
5: somebody that's been falsely arrested
0: twice for lawful open carry, Uh, believe me, law enforcement's getting involved. I'm sure we'll get (laughs) back to this. What we're hinting at, I think, right now is kind of my next question, um, which deals with the implementation process. Obviously, we just talked about the, the previous session. Um, We're going to have open carry go into effect in in January, I believe, and then campus carry, which I know is a whole other panel discussion, but feel free to bring it up if you have any strong feelings
4: about it. Let's keep it simple.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That will be going into effect uh, next August. Um, So for those on the panel who are generally for open carry, what are your your hopes for the implementation process and how you'd like to see that play out? And those who are generally uh, against it or have more of an opposition to it, what are your concerns during this implementation phase as as we get toward the, the effective date? Senator, we'll start with you.
1: Well, I mean, both with open carry and with campus carry, uh, my concerns, look, it's already law that's been passed, so my concerns now are to ensure that we reasonably impose limitations and regulations that will confine the use of these and possession of the arms so that we can limit the potential for violence I think that uh, everything that we see nowadays, we don't need to be regurgitating all of the different incidents across the country, uh, point to the fact that people have got guns, and whether it's because of mental illness, whether it's because there are people who are angry, whether it's because students get involved in a brawl on a campus, everything that we talked about during the debates, whatever the reason is, we are seeing an increase in violence involving guns. And, and, and you know, it, it disturbs me that we get concerned as a society whenever we have one of these incidents. In Chicago, every day, every week, there are hundreds of people getting killed with guns, right? And yet, somehow, we, we don't get enraged by that, even though it's happening on a daily basis, and that violence is being visited on people of color, minorities, everybody, but disproportionately on people of color, and so in places like Chicago, okay, and so it seems to me that as a society, we want to do everything we can, as the chief said, I want to use his terms, come up with common sense, reasonable uh, regulations that will Limit the opportunity for violence to take place and for people, innocent people, you know, all of us. No, nobody wants to be in a situation where they're exposed to violence. Uh, the children, people shopping, uh, people in a restaurant, people on a campus. Nobody wants that. So it seems to me that we have to, as a society, say once and for all, you know what? We don't want NRA to be dictating common-sense gun policy in this state and in this country. And the reason for that is because, for me, NRA is dictating that kind of policy. is like Volkswagen dictating emission
0: standards. Right. Representative Alvarado, you heard...
1: Larry Flint, Larry <laughs> Flint establishing the parameters mm-hmm. for what's pornography or not.
0: Sure. <laughs> you, you heard him say, these, these are laws of the land now. Right. So if you have concerns about them, there's this, obviously this implementational process. What, what can be done to address those concerns even now that they're...
2: Well, I, I think we've seen some leadership in the business community, and I hope we see more. We saw the uh, CEO of Whataburger say that they're not going to allow open carry on their premises. So I hope that we see more people in business stepping up to the plate and taking that type of position. I hope that we see uh, law enforcement being able to have the resources that they need to be able to carry out the training. I've had many conversations with my police chief in Houston and um, it's it's gonna have an impact on their budget. And right now our city is looking at a shortfall for the next fiscal year. So I'm not happy that we basically passed down an unfunded mandate to municipalities and we've imposed these uh, regulations on businesses that have to put up a sign that is um, that has to be uh, multicolor in multiple languages, and the font, the text has to be a certain size. So we've imposed more regulation on business, which is, um, I'm surprised, because most folks on on the other side of the aisle are usually on opposite sides of that issue. So we've put an imposition on business. we put an imposition on municipalities. Our police department is undergoing training during Roll call during um, uh, through videos that are being produced. There, I know that they're concerned about the impact that it's going to have on calls for service once this um, policy, once this law is is
3: um, official.
0: Representative Springer, what are your thoughts? Sure. I on? mean,
3: uh, you know, mine is I, I I'm looking forward and hopeful that uh, we're going to see a lot the same cries and concerns we heard 20 years ago when CHL. Pass for those 800,000. Uh, with the 800,000, that will now be eligible to carry open. Uh, the senator mentioned Chicago. Chicago has some of the strictest gun laws in the country. Houston is substantially a safer place for violence than, than Chicago is. Um, so I might point that we'd be better off uh, by having less of those uh, restrictions on there. Uh, the bill I filed was not open carry. I actually filed a bill to eliminate gun-free zones. I feel like you have a bigger issue... Uh, with the gun-free ones where you are more of a target um, from that standpoint. Um, so you know it's it's getting that training out, making sure people know, you know, where's the proper thing to be able to, to to be able to carry. And I think for the Whataburger, I've I've told every all my constituents when I've done my town halls, I said, you know, I call it the Whataburger sign, but get ready for the 30 out sevens. And and the, one of the reasons we want those is is so somebody doesn't walk up to the door with their gun especially if they're carrying it openly, to then turn around and have to go put it in their car to go into Waterburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just opens itself for, for a bad guy to be able to say, oh, I just now know there's a gun where there's nobody in that car. Mm-hmm. That is why that sign is the size it is, and, and it's in two languages. It's in English and Spanish, and, and we want to make sure, because we have so many Spanish-speaking uh, citizens in the state, that they can uh, read that as well and that they know, and it's for their protection, it's also for the protection of people who don't want to go into an establishment where maybe there isn't a sign prohibiting that, that they know where they can and can't go.
0: Chief, in in these months in between now and and when open carry officially goes into effect, what are you most focused on?
4: Well, we're focusing on uh, 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 procedures, we're focusing on policy. One of the things I think is really important, because I think initially what's going to happen, folks that want to open carry in big cities will, and after they get tired of either the novelty or the hassle that maybe if I want to go to Whataburger, uh, that'll diminish and people will get more comfortable. But I want to see in our region consistency in terms of law enforcement response, law enforcement tactic, law enforcement training, because unfortunately, you know, uh, we were talking about it, uh, CJ and us, and I, we actually have our guys pretty well trained here in Austin on the law. Uh, well, I want to make sure that, all departments are well trained on open carry so we can carry it out because we do support uh, the rule of law and the legislature has passed this, the governor assigned it, and our job as police officers is to uh, make it work uh, to the best of our ability. And so what we're doing is training, come up with policies, procedures, and more importantly, reaching out to all of our partners in the region so at least in Central Texas, we're all doing it right. Okay. CJ, what do you think?
5: Yeah, um, you know, I, I'll, Art and I have, uh, are, are not the best of friends as far as on this issue, but we, we have some healthy debate. But I will say that his officers are some of the top-rate officers that we've dealt with in this entire state. Um, you know, I, we just recently went to the Texas Sheriff Association Convention. Uh, we're a sponsor of that organization because we do support our law enforcement. It's built into our mission statement. Um, and, and, and for that reason, we always call before we have our events to make sure that they're apprised. I spoke to every sheriff and police department that I spoke to, I asked, we asked them a very simple question, are you overstaffed? Are you overstaffed, Chief? No. Okay, so that was a, that, uh, unanimously. I, I didn't get one, one law enforcement official telling me that they're overstaffed. And if that's the case, we talk about diversion of resources. How about we train our call centers? Someone calls and says, there's a man walking down the road with his dog and uh, he's got a big gulp in his hand and he's got a gun on his side. Well, the next thing that the uh, call center should just say is, well, what's he doing with it? Well, it's just in a holster. That way, the law enforcement is already well apprised of what's going on. They're not just going on a man with a gun call.
4: And by the way, we, that's, uh, I, I didn't say that, but that's part of our training initiative and our protocol <clears throat> includes the call takers, the dispatchers, everybody in the, and that response cog.
5: So that's what I hope is happening between now and January, is that call centers are being trained like this. One of the things that I've told our members that our goal, and this is what I've also told uh, legislators, is our goal over the next two years until 2017 is to prove the senator and the representative wrong, to prove the naysayers wrong about open carry. There are, well, there's 45 states now, but uh, there are 33 states that have unlicensed open carry, and this simply isn't a problem. Law enforcement have no issues there. I just went on vacation with my wife and family to Utah. We visited seven different states. I opened carried in every different state, everywhere I went, and didn't have one person contact me. I didn't have one law enforcement encounter. Didn't have one person even mention it. It was just a non-issue.
0: Sure. You mentioned 2017. Definitely want to move on to the next, look toward the next session here. CJ, um, start with you again. What more, I imagine you agree with the premise of this question, but correct me if I'm wrong, what more can Texas do to expand gun rights as you look forward to, to 2017?
5: Well, quite frankly, I'd like to see us become uh, a constitutional carry state. While, while this legislature was fighting over the licensed open carry, two additional states, Maine and Kansas, went to a constitutional carry uh, law, form of, of carry. Really, what happens right now is the only people being prevented from carrying are law-abiding citizens that either can't afford, don't want, uh, or don't want a license. Criminals are gonna carry anyway, so I would like to see constitutional carry here in Texas become the eighth state, at the very least, become the 34th state with unlicensed open carry, because if you're open carrying, you got nothing to
0: hide. Sure. Representative Springer, is there support for that in the legislature right now? I know we're obviously a year and a half away. Right. Um, in Latin, just No, I mean, as,
3: we, uh, we would have to see a, uh, a big change in some of the support or calls we're having to my district, uh, I know when we polled it in several of the, I'll say, conservative Republican districts, I, I don't think we polled y'all, so no offense, but it only polled at about 4% on constitutional carry. Um, Why do you think that is? What? You know, I, I think I think some people are, they say, we like the way Texas is. We like to know that somebody has gone through training. They've gone through a background check, um, and we know that they're a law-abiding citizen. We don't have to worry about the fact that they've just you know, been in a domestic dispute they beat their wife or their girlfriend or whatever the case is, and now they're wanting to go out and and start carrying a gun. Uh, Where do we draw the Constitution at? Does that mean my 15-year-old daughter can take my gun to school? I mean, where do you draw the line if you're going to say we're going to pure Mm -hmm. Constitution to where you draw that line? And so I think a lot of people are more interested in this next session from maybe a a gun rights standpoint that says, you know, what are we going to do for those 800,000 law-abiding citizens that have gone through that background check. Do we, one, work to uh, remove some of the gun-free zones? I have a problem with hospitals that are gun-free zones. It's been in the news. The Tribune did a, a story on it. Uh, all the hospitals in my district, they don't have security. They're, there's not even a guard, but yet they have big blue signs on the highway, and, and I have ER nurses telling me they're scared to death in the middle of the night because you know thugs come in to rob them for drugs, but they can't protect themselves. And so if the hospital's not gonna provide security, then I think the individuals that have passed a background check and have a CHL ought to have the right to be able to carry from that standpoint. And then we've gotta look at, and and I believe in private property rights, so I'm not gonna tell Starbucks that they have to uh, allow open carry or, or concealed carry even at their deal. I can choose to buy coffee somewhere else. But if you are going to ban that from somebody and take their rights away, what's your level of liability that uh, you should face from that standpoint if you don't provide adequate security?
0: So when, when it comes to constitutional care, you would agree with what the lieutenant governor said last night, that right now the support is not there either in the legislature or uh, in the public? That's correct. Okay. Anybody disagree with that? Anybody think the support isn't in the, in the public or in the legislature right now? Or mm-hmm. one of the two? I mean, well, I mean, I, I don't do polling. I don't know. Okay. It's, you know,
5: quite frankly, I, I, I don't remember public opinion poll being included anywhere in the Constitution. Uh, so, and I'm a I'm a very absolutist when it comes to the Constitution. I would like to mention something, Representative Alvarez. I actually agreed with her on. It's we Alvarado. fought. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Alvarado.
2: I'm Alvarado. He's Acevedo. He
5: got you. I'm not, I'm avocado. Uh, she's uh, avocado. She's I was mixing it up.
6: But
2: avocado light.
5: <laughs> um, we actually we were the only gun rights group that actually worked with Representative Navarrez to get an amendment added that would allow businesses just to put up a simple gun buster sign. Quite frankly, I support private property rights. I don't think business owners should have to go through all these hoops to ban guns. If they want to ban guns, I'll ban my money. It's very easy. I think they should be able to put up a little sign in black and white that says, no guns, or we hate you gun owners, or anything they want and, and we shouldn't be allowed to go in there. I was opposed to the 30 seven legislation. I'm opposed to the 30-06 legislation because I think businesses should be able to make that decision. Okay.
2: And the Texas Association of Business and the Retailers Association all asked uh, for support of that and, of course, it, it fell on deaf ears. So.
4: And let me just throw something out as the non-elected official or, or, or budding elected official. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is my recommendation to people that support gun rights. Don't push too far because the polling is there. The Second Amendment is just that. There is a process by which where there will come a point of no return where there's a process where that amendment can be changed by the will of the people in this country. People don't vote there will come a time when people that aren't voting will be motivated when enough blood is shed in our country or God forbid the right child from the right person that has the right amount of money ends up getting killed because of 30,000 more Americans dying every uh, every year your greatest fears will come to fruition you got open carry why do you need constitutional carry it's gun ownership requires responsibility. Not everybody should have a gun. And some of the people that want constitutional carry is because they're convicted criminals yes. and they want us to leg- legitimize the, the fact that they have proved themselves to not be worthy of walking around with guns but, but in that's society. Not,
5: that's not what constitutional carry is. Constitutional carry simply says, if you can legally purchase and own a firearm, you can legally carry that firearm. Felons aren't sitting there itching at the, at the post waiting for constitutional carry so they can pass. They're carrying right now. All we're keeping is people that don't have the two hundred and fifty or don't want to pay the two hundred and fifty dollars. Well and, and they may
2: be carrying because there's loopholes in gun shows. It's the you know consumer-to-consumer purchase. So yeah.
0: Senator, the, I want to let you
1: Well I, I think I think mm. we need to clarify there here when people, we say constitutional carry, we're really talking about carrying without a permit. Right. That's right. Yes. L- permitless right. carry.
5: Permitless carry. And I
1: think and I think probably that's why the polls and the general public is so opposed to constitutional carry. I mean, the, the notion that anybody can just start carrying a gun without any training, without any, any, any uh, background, check. uh, background, check. background checks or anything like that, is just simply abhorrent, it seems to me, to people that that, that could be the, the norm here in this state. And so, um, and, and the other thing is, look, you know, you're talking about, how the chief was talking about how it'll take, you know, uh, possibly an amendment to the Second Amendment to change it. Mm-hmm. You know what? I suspect yeah. that we have a change in the Supreme Court down the line, and the Supreme Court will, in my expectation, my hope is, will review those decisions that came down recently by this conservative Supreme Court and that said that. The Second Amendment really means that anybody can have a gun to defend themselves, which had not been the jurisprudence for years and years and years. I mean, that's an interpretation that is totally out of sync with prior Supreme Court decisions and federal court decisions and interpretations, including by the scholars. So, look, at some point, I think the chief is right, the pendulum is gonna swing. What I expect in answer to your question that we might do in 2017 Try is focus on passing common sense, God. sensible amendments to this law now that we, can, if we want to take time to really uh, debate it. Uh, I'm talking about things like you know, an amendment that I offered about restricting the gun licenses for people that have had their license revoked go to the next-door state and get a license, and now they're back in here in Texas you know, with, uh, with a gun. I mean, the, if, we, if we believe in the state of Texas and the rule of law uh, and the state of Texas policies, then why are we allowing people to circumvent you know, our laws? And so I'm going to be focused on trying to address some of those loopholes as I see
3: them, uh, in the next session, and, it, and um, as a Republican, I would stand with them on that because well, I I agree with good. that. You and I will. That, that on that, the House side, that hey. on the Senate side. No, but I mean because because I do I do believe in the rule of law, and the rule of law is if you do not if you're a citizen of the state of Texas and you've done something to lose your license. We don't want you carrying a gun, right? Yeah. And I, and I would. I didn't yeah. I don't remember that one being in the house. Carol obviously well, didn't carry well, it for you, so <laughs> one
1: less. Well, well, uh, I'm going to look for you to to we've do got, it the
4: yeah, well, you You're now a target of open carry <laughs> You know,
3: but I mean, you know, but but I've also said, you know, I I my big push has been for the 800,000 license owners. Uh, as I said, for that single mom walking back, uh, why do I want to make sure? I want to make sure the 24 year old. Year-old grad student, female here at UT. You know when she's walking to her apartment uh, in the middle of the night. You know if if we take guns away from everybody, we just really attack women more because the 225 year pound guy yeah. can easily go I, after...
2: Were, were there an overwhelming for, yes, amount of women yes, that no. came to testify for this? I mean, I, as a woman, well, I don't, no, but I I don't I, feel that I need protection. I, I did, I, did hey, have calls, look, I did have calls to my hey, district talking about for the women. Why, why do I we need, had calls to my why district. Why do we need though. open carry, man? I've, I've been openly carrying these guns around for over 40
3: years, so... <laughs> No, in, in,
0: in
6: a,
4: in, this in is a Texas rest. woman. Here. Yeah, I, absolutely.
0: Well, I, <laughs> I know we've got to take questions soon, but I have, I have one last broader question for you guys. Um, I think the average Texan, when they look back on some of the open carry discussion this past session, one of the things that stood out to them was some of the activism we saw early on. I think you alluded earlier to, to Representative Navarez and the confrontation maybe that, mm-hmm. uh, that happened in his office. Um, it was very heated, there was a lot of heated dialogue. When you look to the, the 2017 session, as lawmakers, we'll start with you guys, what is your advice to people who, who are still pushing to expand gun rights or are still trying to be active and invisible on this issue? Again, based on the experience we just had this session.
1: Well, I, I think uh, we talked about it just a little while ago. Uh, as I was saying, I agree with the chief. Uh, what I would tell folks who want to expand gun rights, constitutional carry and all that, is that uh, be, beware of what you wish for because I think and the public has reached the limit with gun violence in this country, and, and, and I think, you know, we talked about the incidents earlier. I, I, I just don't think that as a society we can any longer tolerate, in the name of the Second Amendment, innocent people getting killed all over the place. And innocent people, including women, obviously, mm-hmm. being exposed to more violence, not less violence. I think all the data shows that the more guns you have, the more violence there seems to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. that's the data. So we're not, you know, just conjecturing here. Someone want
0: to respond to that?
2: Well, and there has been more data to show where on campuses where campus carry is allowed that the incidence of rape has increased. Um, I mean, th- those are true numbers. That's not political rhetoric, um, but uh, the, the information is there. I think what I would suggest to the activists that are going to push uh, constitutional carry is to um, not post and have rhetoric okay. like, and I forget, CJ, you probably know his name, but the gentleman that had... Uh, posted things about. Uh, he who shall
4: not be named. Uh, I'll okay. name him. Uh, Corey for Cocoa Puffs Watkins, or what's her name? Watkins. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. who, who posted things about elected officials who were voting against open carry, that yeah. we should be arrested for treason, that we should face, uh, be hung from a, a tree of, um, what was it, a tree of liberty, and, and mention things about death. I mean, this, these were, in my opinion, these were these were threats. And when you have rhetoric like that, that is so extreme, uh, it's, a no, it's no wonder that the majority of Texans yeah. o- will oppose such yeah. a thing. You know,
3: I, think, I think Texans want us to debate these issues respectfully, right. just like we have here, because right. we, we will have areas of, of common ground. I'm the one who came up with the, the stickers that said, I'm Pancho, because <laughs> I did not want somebody threatening somebody who I may have opposed on yeah. his position to be threatening another member of the body because that should be between us, to have that debate on the floor from the front and the back mic and in the committee halls on how we do that. The other piece I would say on that is, um, and I tell everybody in my town halls, is if you are a defender of the Second Amendment, you also better be supporting us when we say we need more money for mental health, because I think the biggest threat we have, (laughs) the biggest threat we have to our Second Amendment is mental health.
0: Okay, I, I okay. Don't mean to skip over your chief, but C.J., just because you're an activist, I want to hear your take on this. Uh, you brought up Corey Watkins. He's not here to defend himself, but I know one time you said that he's uh, he's not the face of the open carry movement. He's actually the another the part of the body. Of the open yeah, carry movement. exactly. Yes. So, does that concern you when you see that kind of activism going on? Well,
5: yeah, and you know we have to admit it, it, there are people like Corey Watkins on the anti-gun side too. I publish frequently death threats that I get. Uh, I love those kind of letters. They they make me laugh because. Uh, you know, you're threatening to kill a guy that's got a gun on him everywhere he goes. Uh, but there, there, we, what we've got to do is, as activists is make sure that we marginalize the extremists on each side. Um, and that's what we have done. We have been actively, I took a very active role um, when, when there were people who stepped out of line, who did things like what they did to Pancho Navarro And when I'm a senator, if he does it to me, he's going to have a broken foot. So there will be half of his foot out in the hall and half of his foot inside my office. Campaign <laughs> promise. But that's a campaign promise. Uh, but, you know, we've we just got to stand up to those kinds of people as activists, you know, and, and on both sides. Uh, the, sure. the anti-gun people have to uh, stand up to their extremists and we have to stand up to our extremists. And, and I think it's kind of interesting because really we both have the same goal in mind. We talk about safety and we talk about ending gun violence and we talk about uh, public safety. We
0: both want the exact same thing, we just have different ways and ideas of what that means. You guys can start lining up for questions if you have any, um, and then I want to make sure we get some closing thoughts on all of this from you. I know we, we skipped over you earlier. That's all right, I'm good. <laughs> so, I'm again, it. you have a different perspective uh, You know when you watch this kind of activism play out, but looking forward to the next session, I mean, you're obviously your force deals with these protests. I mean, what is, what is your advice for these people? Up.
4: Well, hey, my advice is I think that we've lost the art of uh, debate. We've lost the art of respect. We've lost the art of treating each other uh, with back. respect and, 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 and oh, that nice means bad that. cops who don't nice treat stupid. people, treat them with dignity that means neighbor not de- uh, treating people with dignity and, and I've come up with an acronym that says treat, we need to be transparent with each other he knows how I feel, I know how he feels and we agree to disagree on some issues not all, we agree a lot on the second amendment you know, respect, starts with self-respect we've lost that uh, engage, we're engaging, we all need to do that vote <laughs> vote, 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 vote. But here's the problem for the Second Amendment folks that want constitutional care and everything is that, that if people start voting, you're going to lose some of your rights. We need to vote. People complain about politicians and I say, did you vote? No, then shut up. Mm-hmm. If you didn't vote, shut up. I will vote. And, and to add to that, not only you vote, but the best thing you can do is contact us. Yes. I mean, tell, tell
3: us. Contact your state representative or your state senator.
0: Great. And with that, I think we'll start taking some questions <clears throat> Eric Goodman um, from Texas
5: Student Media, and Patrick, I'll leave it to you on you know how to facilitate this question. Um, we've heard, obviously, the passion from the panelists in the audience, but we've also heard attempts to bring statistics and data, and we've heard claims on that. Um, however, both these laws, open carry and campus carry, have been cited as not being research-based decisions. I'm wondering why was independent objective research not done either to support or to defend the implementation of campus,
0: of opening campus carry? Who wants to take it?
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I was reading one uh, just uh, uh, this week on the campus carry side of it. There's 150 schools that have been doing it for approximately, you know, I think they said somewhere in the, in the range of 20 years, some of them, um, and they've not had one suicide. They haven't had one person shot that has had a CHL on campus. And so I think there is numbers behind that from, from that aspect of it. And that and was in the Texas Tribune article, by the way. So I think I think we can look to their 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 numbers from that standpoint.
7: Okay, we'll take we'll take another one. Thank uh, you. Yes, I'm a 54 Texas resident, 54 year old, and uh, you're discussing rhetoric and making more laws when the real issue, which we all agree, instead of making more laws and taking it our rights away to defend ourselves and is that why don't all these agencies, ATF, TABC, marshals, Texas Department, police, everybody enforce the over 20,000 laws on the books?
4: Because there's a lot of loopholes to their laws. That's, that's why. That's part of the problem. Number two, there's not consistency. Number three, there's no funding or will to fund the tools that we need, the systems and processes that we need to enforce them. And and, you, and you're right, it is a problem. It is a huge problem. And so, uh, well, so, so what we need to do is make sure that number one, we are enforce them. Number two, that we make it a priority. Number three, that we close the loopholes. Look, people are greedy. Right now, you can walk into gun shows and there are people that will sell you whatever they've got for sale without an ID. I'm sorry, but if we're not supposed to be selling guns to crooks, that doesn't pass the smell test for me. That's just common sense. I mean, Constitutional carry or not, I don't care. We've got plenty of loopholes that we need to close, and I think those loopholes help us keep the guns in the right hands and out of the wrong hands, and that's how we protect the Second Amendment.
1: Well, and and Chief, uh, you know, we just reported in the media recently about that uh, case up in Milwaukee. Where the jury came back with a six million dollar judgment yeah. against the gun owner for two for, officers. For, for yeah, by two officers for allowing a straw purchase, right? And and yet when we bring up about regulating straw purchases, well the NRA immediately and the people legislators that pander to the NRA say we can't we can't do anything about that. We that's not right. We can't limit the right. I mean it's it's just.
0: Some confusion about the the, the premise there. Huh? Oh, no,
1: no.
3: no
0: yes. I was trying Could
3: to. You? I didn't read the straw purchase side so, of that. So, so I think
1: that jury is sending a message. A message and there was a case out of Kansas. People are starting to send messages, even within the existing rules, that we're not going to let people get away with some of these things. I mean, there is a federal law, as we know, that that uh, unfortunately gives immunity to manufacturers, right? And so, but, but people are starting to find ways, speaking as jurors, about how we are not going to tolerate these kinds of practices. So, we've been talking about through the legislative route. I'm saying there's going to be a lot of changes coming
0: about through the courts. Take the, another question up front.
1: Hi, I'm Grace Chemaine with the League of Women Voters of Texas, and I testified at several of the bills that were going on. My concern is uh, about gun violence and the cost of gun violence and decreasing gun violence. We're paying over $300, 000, $300 million in taxes for just, just for the hospitalizations of gun violence victims. Mm-hmm. And do you have any suggestions for decreasing gun violence? And I don't mind hearing for, from anybody, but we've got to decrease the suicides. We're higher than the, National average in suicides and it's going up in Texas, and we have a huge amount of uh, cost for gun violence victims.
4: I, I've, I've got a I've got a suggestion. Since 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 the open carry and the Second Amendment folks say they're all for lawful people having guns, you know what we need to do is, is we need to have mandatory sentencing in this state for those who would use a firearm to commit a felony. If you, if you display it in the commission of a felony, you should be required to do five years in prison. If you discharge it, you should do 10 years. And if you strike somebody, you should do 20 years. And if you should do, kill somebody, you should be put in prison for life. And so if they're serious about keeping guns, in the hands of law-abiding Americans and, and keeping people from killing people and hurting people, then i like to see the people that are for the Second Amendment come to this legislature and say enough is enough, and we want you to start putting mandatory sentencing when firearms are used to hurt other people. Well, and, That's and, what i like to and, see.
5: And Art, as that Second Amendment guy, I tell you, I agree with you 100%. I would actually go a little bit further. I mean, uh, I, I am actually for, if you use a firearm in the commission of a crime, it should automatically be elevated a whole other level. So if it's a third-degree felony, it becomes a second-degree felony. If it's a second-degree, and then quite frankly, if you use a gun and you are convicted of, of killing somebody, then I am in favor of bringing back the firing squad. Just
6: out of curiosity.
2: That doesn't
3: uh, what, what? gun violence, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm sorry, I, I, I <laughs> did not <wouldn't> hear you. <laughs> that doesn't decrease gun it, violence. It, it doesn't de, <laughs> decrease yeah, gun violence. It doesn't reduce and, and, violence. You know, it, and, and a lot of this gets in confusion because we talk parties. about open carry, and we talk about uh, campus carry, and we talk about this, and everybody thinks we're addressing the 27 million people in the state of Texas. We're really addressing the 800,000 people in the state of Texas. So a lot of the gun violence, just like you saw on the campus of Texas Southern, did not involve anybody with the CHL. So there's outside the scopes of the bills that we have been addressing from that standpoint. And and if we can look for how do we address that 26 million people from those to be able to rein in uh, um, gun violence, I'm always ears and happy to hear. Yeah, because how you we know what? I had a
4: guy that we called the shotgun robber in Austin, Texas. You know, we're a very conservative county here in Travis County. one well, of the most conservative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I saw, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> Wilmington County. Um, committed a series of armed robberies with a shotgun. We, my detectives caught him, he never hurt anybody. He got this, did three years in prison, came out, and within one week, what did that shotgun robber do? He murdered somebody, and I think that we, it's time for us to get serious about gun violence in this state and people that would do us harm right, and uh, do the things they're doing with Throw Go to the
0: back Mike. All right, thank you. I'm thank you, Brandon man. Garcia from the University of Dallas, and having just moved to Austin, I'm really, uh, really pleased and happy you're our police chief, Chief Acevedo. Thank, so you, thank you. Welcome.
4: Thank you. I, I just want to say, um, thank you uh, for
0: being our chief. That's um, my
4: cousin, by the way, everybody.
2: <laughs> it's baby avocado. Baby avocado.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you. I, I just uh, wanted to say, this uh, so open carry is kind of, to me, it seems like. The kind of the consequences that are proposed right here—it seems kind of a dangerous experiment. to let eight hundred thousand people carry guns in our city. It's like, what could go wrong? It seems like it's already maybe happening. You guys talk about responsibility. I've heard of like reliability. You're—you know—you can't get into a car and drive on the freeway without like insurance. Why not have like insurance for guns? What do you guys think about that?
1: Oh, yeah, excellent idea.
0: Terrible idea. <laughs>
1: we'll
0: start. With, we'll start with C.J. and then we'll we'll go back to. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a
5: terrible idea. I mean. Why not have insurance for hammers? They kill more people than rifles do, and you know. Okay, so, I like
4: to see that study. I would like uh, to see. Oh, that you can go
5: ahead and look it up. It's in, It's right there on the Nix. Uh, the FBI's got it on their website. That blunt force objects kill more people than uh, than long rifles do. So
4: oh, I thought you th- I-, I was thinking suicide. Sorry.
5: Oh
0: no, not suicide. That'd be a tough way to <laughs> that do. Would it. Be
3: That'd be a uh, hard uh, way to do it. It'd so be I mean, a it's really it's tough.
0: <laughs> Big hammer. Sorry. Uh, Senator, you said it's a good idea. Why do you think so?
1: Well, I I mean, I think we just heard this lady mention about all of the costs that are associated with gun violence. And it seems to me that uh, even licensed, you know, uh, gun holders ought to be insured in order to make sure to ensure that if they misuse the gun, if they leave the gun and a child, you know, commits, uh, uh, unfortunately, a, a homicide or innocent people get killed in, in some of these incidents. I mean, somebody has got to pay for those costs. Uh, the law enforcement coming in away from, you know, carrying out their other responsibilities, and so I don't see any problem with that. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense to me.
2: And I have heard some in law enforcement say that, uh, or read some type of registration, if you, if you buy a car, you register That's car. a slippery slope. Yeah.
4: Oh my God, no. And you, you do that, they'll take them away next.
2: And you, you sell. You're your coming car. around. Yeah. You sell your car. You transfer the title. There's a registration. There is. There's a, a tracking process, and
8: that ought to be considered with guns.
0: Sure. Okay. I think we've got time for just a couple more questions. Uh, front mic, definitely.
8: Hi, my name is Sean Segmonian. I'm a student at ACC. I uh, thank you, first of all, for coming and, and doing this panel for us. But uh, this question is for CJ. Uh, you would mentioned. Uh, putting the mark on the Jews, right? So yep. it, insofar as, as, as constitutional carry goes, how do you distinguish? How do you distinguish a lawful gun owner from the, the felon who just happened to find a gun somewhere and is carrying it you know, on his side? Like, oh, look at me, I'm a lawful citizen. That, I mean, what's your compromise? The, uh, the bad
5: guy will be pointing the gun at you.
2: Nah. Not necessarily.
8: So, well, then what's, who's he sure, hurt? Sure, the bad guy's pointing his gun at you, but. Let's say that bad guy carries his open carry from home to the Whataburger or wherever you know whatever institution he carries it into, to the school, and then pulls it out, and everyone allows him on a campus because he had it open he had it open. The, and I'm a motorcycle rider, so I've been subjected to the random stops around Austin, the safety checks. So insofar as having a, a general outrageous. constitution or a general open carry you know uh, procedure, how do you, yeah. how do you propose? that gun owners don't get harassed more.
5: Well, you know, the Police Chiefs Association, I can't remember if that's the exact, I think it was Cleat actually, during the debate, there was a question uh, similar to that. And I'll use their words. Criminals don't open carry. I think Art can tell you this, too, because when you open carry a firearm, admittedly, we're drawing attention to ourselves, whether we intend to or not. People are looking at you And and, I mean, heck! If I see a bulge in someone's jacket, uh, they're paying attention. Um, So criminals don't want to draw attention to themselves. They they will hide their gun until they're ready to pull it out and use it against you. Now there might be some. You can't you can't legislate out stupidity. um, But for the most part, there that just doesn't happen. Criminals don't want you to see them. They don't want you to watch them. They don't want witnesses.
4: Well, so. that, that's because, as it stands today, if you walk around with a firearm on your hip, the cops are but, going to ask you some questions and you're we've a convicted
5: felon. But we've got states all over. We, we don't even have to wonder what it's like. But,
4: we've got test beds all around the country. But we're the first state that does not allow big cities to opt out. Right. As far as it, I'm and, sure and sure and No,
5: no, no, no we're not the first big state big that difference? does that. Absolutely what, not. There are many states the that have city? preemption.
4: Which is the biggest city?
5: It doesn't matter how well, big the city well, it is. We're talking matter. about criminal activity. What's the yeah. We're, city. Okay. We're talking about a criminal carry yeah, yeah. yeah, of so The, the want, heck with facts, it,
2: right? Yeah, Let's it just, doesn't <laughs> matter. Okay. The hell with facts. Caesar, come on, yeah.
3: Cesar. Okay. It hey, doesn't Pat, matter. Sorry. Patrick, I think one important point, uh, because when you did the introduction, you talked about campus carry goes in August of uh, 16. That is a four-year university. So ACC is actually August of 17. Yeah. So just for clarification, so don't get in trouble, and
0: that's only concealed carry, not open carry, on campus. We've got got several more minutes. If we want to get more questions, go to the back mic. Uh, Hi, Uh, my name's Tyler Allard. I'm a law student here at UT, Uh, and I'm Jewish. Um, (laughs) So my question for CJ, and it's maybe a leading question. I I mean it respectfully, but you know, so don't shoot me. Um, (laughs) When you say that you're a constitutional absolutist. so far at this panel, the only amendment we've been talking about is the Second Amendment. We have obscenity laws, we have child pornography laws, we have slander laws, we have libel laws, we have perjury laws. Are those unconstitutional because the First Amendment says Congress shall make no law abridging the First? We speech?
5: also have we also have gun laws. You you can't kill somebody with a gun. You can't rob somebody with a gun. You can't beat someone over the head with a gun. You can't point a gun at somebody. So we have gun laws too.
4: Well, you you can point a gun at somebody in their room. Well,
7: in, in self defense. defense. Yeah, yeah. Bill Badner. U.S.M.C. Retired.
4: Four. simplify.
7: Uh, let's get to the heart of the matter. Has anybody on the panel ever shot and killed anyone with a handgun? Well, you and I, First Sergeant, may be the only two people in the room who have. Uh, and I'll, I'll leave to the First Sergeant to, to explain how he feels about it. But I can, I'm here to tell you that shooting another human being is one of the worst things that can happen to you in your, li- in your own life. It's a dreadful, nasty, brutal, shameful business and it's not something that any of us ever want, ought to want to wish on anyone. It's not just the person who gets shot, it's the person who does the shooting. So I would just urge all of you as this debate goes on, <laughs> To avoid romanticizing this whole business of firearms, because I've seen way too much of that in the debate. There isn't anything romantic about firearms, they have one purpose.
0: So, did you have a question, no, or
3: you just no, what on 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 Bill One, I, I thank, I you my question. For, uh, thank
7: you for it. Thank
1: you. I I, I thank thank you for your service, first of all, and I think you just very, in very simple, Mm -hmm. brief terms, eloquently stated what our problem is. Too many guns give the potential for innocent people to get killed. And as a society, it's time for us to find common sense ways in which we can balance the rights of Gun owners under the Second Amendment, but limit as much as possible the availability of guns. Now, you know, I know the other side keeps saying, well, it's, you know, just the criminals, not the 800 CHL license holders. You know what? I, th- I think we need to get beyond those 800 folks. We need to look at the 23 million population that we have and, and try and think in terms of how do we provide more security, more safety, more protection for everyday citizens from gun violence, period.
4: And, and, and can I just add something too, because you so eloquently said something that I could never say so eloquently because you've been there and done that. During the campus carry debate, I talked about sexual assaults. And my biggest fear is that people that aren't trained, uh, he takes it very seriously, I know his family does well, but not everybody's gonna do that. gonna get this false sense of security just because I have a gun on me or a gun in my pl- common sense, good judgment, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not keeping your sobriety, there's so much more that goes, I worry about people thinking I'm safe because I have a gun, and then that gun is turned on them, because pulling that trigger is not as easy of a proposition, yeah. a, and, maintain, and keeping control of that gun one, is really not as easy of a proposition. Mm-hmm.
5: And, and so just thank you for really fast, up. Bill, again, thank you too, and by the way, those those people were in combat, so I I haven't shot anybody here at home, thankfully. (laughs) And you're so right. I, I hope to never, ever have to point another firearm at another human being in my life. It is the hardest, worst, disgusting thing you could ever do in life. And I guarantee you, any gun owner, any license holder, and any police officer that has to shoot a person, that face lives with them for the rest of their lives. Whether they want to admit it or not, that death,
0: that having to pull that trigger lives with them for the rest of their lives. If we have to make a quick, but I know this gentleman's been waiting, so we'll do one last question.
6: Senator Rodriguez, um, you've talked a lot about crime rates, but are you familiar with the offense rate according to DPS for CHL holders? I keep hearing that there's no offense well, rate. The most recent figures from DPS are that mm. statewide these 800,000 CHL holders mm. have an offense rate of 0.3%. And by way of comparison, commissioned peace officers have an offense rate of either 1.8 or 2.0, depending upon the source. And that's not to pick on peace officers, but merely to illustrate both are law-abiding groups of people.
0: Before you respond, well, can you just and, introduce and yourself, to, sir? The follow-up
6: to that that I originally intended to ask Slave you director. is, are you aware of the origin of these laws prohibiting the carrying of handguns in Texas?
0: Sir, can you, can you introduce yourself and say your name? Yeah. I'm Rick
6: Briscoe. I am with during Oak Carry Texas.
0: Thank you. Aware oh,
6: of the origin of these? Yes, sir. The where did they start? They
4: started? Yeah.
6: I tell you the well, I'll answer it the... for you if you don't mind. During Reconstruction. They started after the Civil War, and yeah. they were specifically we've, we've had, we've had intended to deny minorities, yeah. the specifically freedmen yeah, I heard that and, during debate. and Mexican-Americans, I'm, I'm not the right of so self-defense left. against yeah. uh, people who would treat them very harshly That does not
1: justify Expanding the Second Amendment to the extent that we have as a society, that results in more gun violence, according to all the data. I heard that. We heard that during the debate in the Senate. And so, you know, (laughs) you know, have you have you heard about the in history here in Texas about how you know even in the Wild West uh, and other states, Dodge City comes to mind. That uh, in those early, you know. Well, Wild West times,
7: the that one those caused- people
1: had the common sense to restrict and limit guns? Well, the, the most common
6: cause of death in that era was a fall from horseback. Well.
7: Okay, we, we're going <laughs>
0: we to have to leave it on that I note. There's a, there's a <laughs> note. <no-care laughs> uh. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Bye, everybody.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Thank you.
2: Well, good luck on the team. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks.